Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number 9. The Gospel of John, chapter number 9. We have been for the last uh, five weeks, this is makes the fifth week, looking at the um, idea of missions, and we've said a lot about it. And I hope tonight to kind of wrap up everything that we've looked at and... Um, then um, hopefully close out um, this study on missions tonight or even maybe next week, I'm not sure, but hopefully tonight. Gospel of John, chapter number 9. The Bible says, And Jesus passed by, he saw, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man, or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, very quickly, this does not have anything to do with um, missions per se, but um, verse number two, we see the attitude of, of people. And that's, that's usually our attitude when something bad happens, isn't it? We... Um, if we're not careful, we'll look at somebody and say, well, I, I wonder what they've done to deserve this. I wonder what God is punishing them for. And sometimes even we may not see it do it as may look at someone else that may be going through some tragedy or some uh, illness or something like that from that standpoint. But something may even happen to us. And we ask the question, well, I wonder what I've done for God to punish me in this aspect. And now I'm not saying saying that God does not use tragedy and God does not use illness uh, to deal with us and deal with others. However, not every time that tragedy strikes is it um, in the form of chastisement. But it may just be like verse number 4 when Jesus answers uh, these critics. Or verse number three, when he answers these critics, that it's just the, so that the works of God may be manifest in him. Sometimes sickness, tragedy, um, different things happen, uh, not for chastisement nor judgment, but just so that people can see the works of God in your life and in mine. So we have to be very careful. And, and there again, if, if you ever begin to um, go through something and you begin to wonder, is this God punishing me? I'm not saying that it may not be consequences from sin or uh, God trying to get our attention, but also just uh, something else to consider. It may be you're going through that so somebody else can see the hand of God move and uh, it show them that God really is real. So verse number four, uh, Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So as we see verse number four, very um, compelling statement that the Lord makes. When he says the statement, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me. And then he goes on to say, the night cometh when no man can work. So in verse number four, we see great urgency in these words that uh, the Lord says, and He's dealing with this of healing, and uh, but ultimately this healing is for the for the fact that God gets glory, and these 
And the people around come to know God. And so we see there again, Jesus is very, uh, very clear about the urgency of, of doing the works of God. And there again, in our day, it, it ought to be that uh, it's just as urgent for us to accomplish the works of God today as it was the days in which Jesus uh, is in, uh, we would find Jesus in this time. And so I want us to look very, very quickly, and we're going to be doing a lot of turning, so I, I'm going to ask, you, ask that you hold on the best you can, and, and um, you may get there quicker than me on some. But I, I want us to look at the priority of missions. We, we've talked about that some, and I just want to uh, give you a couple things, and then we'll, uh, we'll shut her down. I, I want us to look, first of all, I want you to be turning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 13. As we think about the priority of missions, uh, I, I believe we've made a very compelling case through these last five weeks uh, uh, that uh, missions is the heartbeat of God, and God is very concerned about missions. And in, in Mark chapter 13, we find that Jesus is dealing with the second coming in, in these verses. And He makes a statement in Mark chapter 13, verse number 10. I want you to notice what He says. The Bible says, And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Now I want you to notice that little word, must. This is an absolute command. This is a certainty that it has to be done. And so we find that this, this gospel, this, what we know it, we could make, we could say, break it, we break it down and say the gospel is good news. Um, one man made a statement. He said, he said the gospel is exactly what it says. Go and have a spell and um, tell people about the Lord. And so this, this Mark chapter 13 that the gospel must first be published among all nations. So we see that there again, even in this, Jesus gives a priority upon the, the gospel message. And now I, I want you to turn, his, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. We find that not only is a missions a must, but we find in 2 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 2, we find that missions involves a, a, a now. It involves a, a divine now. And Paul, as he's writing to the church of Corinth under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says this, For he saith, I have heard thee, and at a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have secured, uh, succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The reason that the, that the gospel is a divine must and the reason that the gospel comes with a divine urgency is for this, for this cause of what we read, just read that uh, because of today. Tomorrow may be too late for somebody. I, I don't know if, if I, we're, nobody's promised tomorrow. And can you imagine if, uh, if someone was to die today and... You, you, if you, God put on your heart to tell that person about the gospel, and you say, well, I'll go do it tomorrow, but they die today, can you imagine the guilt that you would carry probably for the rest of your life? And could you imagine the impact that that would probably have upon that person's eternity? And so not only is there a, a, a divine must, but there is that 
uh, divine now that the reason that God puts such an emphasis on the gospel, sure, God knows when that person's time is going to be ended. We don't. But we should respond to God in the time frame that He gives us. Uh, I, I was looking, looking at uh, um, an article, and one of the articles said the, uh, the world population is around uh, 7 billion people. And only an approximately 30% have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. Now, I didn't take time to, that's way too, seven billions, way too many zeros for me to try to do math with. Now, so I don't know what 30% of seven billion is, but I can just imagine that's a whole lot of people. And some of you, what some of you already trying to wheel and deal in your head, you can, I, I ain't got that many toes and fingers. But reality of it is, is can you imagine 30% of 7 billion people have never heard the gospel message? And yet we hear it near about, probably some of us hear it near about every day. And yet there's, there's that whole host of people who's never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. So we see there's some spiritual considerations when we deal with missions. We... We need to consider, and there again, I, I'm as guilty as you are. A lot of times, we, um, God, we, we may pull up to the gas pump or see somebody in Walmart or uh, whatever the case may be, and God deal with our heart to to witness to that person, and we'll say, "Well, maybe I'll do it later. Maybe I'll see him again. Maybe whatever the case." And then we drive off, and not knowing that today could have been the day that. They pass from death to life, or pass from life to death, never considering that um, just in a moment, in a blink of an eye, they could be in eternity. So there's some spiritual considerations when we deal with missions, but there's also some spiritual conflict when you deal with mission, uh, deal with missions. Now, just a few pages over, Second Corinthians chapter number four, Second Corinthians chapter number four. We see that one of the, 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 script, the spiritual conflict of missions is this, is that Satan does everything he can uh, to fight and to stop uh, the, mess, the gospel message getting out. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, notice verse, uh, verse number 3. He says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now, a lot, a lot of times we read that verse and we just kind of skim through it. But, but I, I want you to really think, just, just for a moment, if, if we hide the gospel of Christ, it in essence does not affect those who already know Christ. The ones it affects is those who don't know Christ. And those are the ones that really... Not saying saved folk don't matter, but understand what I'm saying. Those are the ones who need the light the most. And so, so when a person gets saved, and I, I believe it's very important for a person to live a, a Christian life and to live godly and to live, uh, live separated in this world. I believe that. I, I believe the Bible teaches that. But if for a person was to get saved and become a member of Liberty Baptist Church, and never tell anybody about the gospel of Christ, it will never, it will not affect the other members of Liberty Baptist Church who's been born again. In essence, it won't affect us. Because we already know what it takes to be saved. 
We've already been born again. We have already trusted in Christ. But those that it will affect is those who have never heard. And those are the ones who need the gospel the most. Now, don't, there again, don't, don't misunderstand me. I, I believe in, in a person that gets saved. They ought to live right. But I'm just saying if they don't, they live a carnal life and um, never grow in Christ. In essence, it's not, not the saved people they're doing damage to. Though they are doing damage, I understand that. But the ones they're hurting the most is they're hurting those who have never known, never trusted Christ. Verse number 4, In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So there again we see that Satan is the one who obscures the truth and tries to stop the gospel of Christ from penetrating those, the lives of those who have never trusted Christ. Now notice the beginning of verse number 4. In whom the God of this world. Now, um, I, I know that we say God, that God is the God of the world and God has control and He does. But you have to also understand that Satan has a lot more power in this world than some, some of us give him credit for. And so as, you, as the Bible calls him the God of this world, he's the God of the, of the cosmos, which means uh, the world system. And if you look at the world system, the political system, the financial system, all the, all the um, head honcho systems of the world, if you will, you can see the fingerprints of Satan all over it. And that, that is what the Scripture is talking about, is the cosmos, the systems of the world. Um, all, the, all the head, even sadly enough, even America, um, you can see the fingerprints of Satan upon the uh, systematic of America today. And so that's what he's talking about. And, and the devil has so much power and so much influence that, that um, I, I don't know, but I don't know if this would be true, but probably only God knows, but I don't know if, if people are not more blinded today than they've ever been. Um, you, a lot, I think it's a couple of weeks ago, I think, I don't remember who I was talking to, but um, we, we was talking about um, uh, preachers preaching, you know, used to, man, preachers preached on hell and, and it scared people and people uh, was afraid. Now you preach on hell, you got people popping uh, bubble gum and people texting and people um, that, that they have no, have no uh, fear of it anymore. Why? Because they have so... They have seen all kind of movies and they've played all kind of video games. And, and if you don't think that's the devil trying to take the fear of hell away from people, you're too crippled high for crutches. Some, some people can't, can't be scared of hell because they in their mind think they're living in it now. And uh, I, I saw a bumper sticker one time said, and uh, I can't remember exactly what it said, but the concept of it was this, was uh, it, um, if I go to if if... Uh, people go to hell, can you imagine what kind of party it's going to be? Well, and, and that's, the, that's the concept that people have of hell. Why? Because that's the, that is the way the world, the, the, that, there again, that word world means cosmos, it, the system has made it. When you talk about the devil, no matter how spiritual you are, when somebody mentions the devil, if you're not careful, your mind goes to a little red man with horns and a pointed tail, don't it? Because we have so been infiltrated with that. But that's not him at all. 
And so that, that's, what, that's what he's talking about. The God of this world, he has so blinded them by using the world system that the gospel of, the, of, the, of Christ does, can't shine upon them because they're so blinded. So he obscures the truth. Now turn over just a little bit to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice verse number 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into, transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So not only do we see that Satan obscures the truth, but Satan also offers spiritual counterfeits. Man, there again, never, never in a, probably in the history of time have we ever seen as many spiritual counterfeits as they are, as they are today. I mean, you, you've got you've got all these all these people. You've got um, all these TV folks that are so uh, in uh, people are so enamored by them, and they have uh, so drew a crowd, um, and they're preaching everything but the gospel of Christ. And even people, uh, I, I made a statement the other day, and it is it is true. Just because a person says some things right, does not mean they're scripturally sound. There's a lot of people that have some things right, but the thing that matters the most is wrong. And so I, I don't I don't know about you, but uh, Mitch said when I when I was in the um, chicken business, we had we had rats, horrible. And I'm I ain't talking about mice. I'm talking about baby possums, things and running around. And uh, I, I looked, I got some rat poison one time, and I looked and and on the back of that rat poison, it had all kind of different ingredients. And um, I looked at poison, and only a very, very, very small percentage of that was actually poison. The rest of it was other ingredients. But do you know it only took a very small percentage of poison to kill them rats? It don't take much spiritual poison to poison someone spiritually. It just takes a little bit. And so that's why we have to be so careful. So we listen to who we listen to. So he offers spiritual counterfeits. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Not only does the devil offer, uh, does he obscure the truth, and does he offer spiritual counterfeits, but one thing we see even among our day, it was very prevalent in their day, very prevalent uh, in the Bible day, I mean, and very prevalent in our day. We see that Satan opposes God's, God's servants. He does everything he can to stop God's men. Notice verse number 18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, notice them four words, but Satan hindered us. Satan is very, very busy in obscuring the truth. He's very busy in offering spiritual counterfeits, but he's also very busy in opposing God's servants. Now, I don't, I'm not going to tell you that that's the only, um, 
only open to preachers because I don't believe it is. But I believe the Satan is doing his best to oppose anybody, whether it be a preacher or whether it just be a layperson, anybody that's trying to do anything for the cause of Christ, he's doing his best to oppose them. He's doing his best to stop them. And we even, we even there again, we even see this. Man, can you imagine as great and spiritual as the Apostle Paul? He, several times in the Scripture, he mentions how Satan had hindered him, how Satan had blocked his way. Now, when we think about the Apostle Paul, we're, we think a lot of times he's the greatest Christian outside of the Lord Jesus. How in the world could a, a Christian like that be hindered by Satan? Well, that goes to show us how really how much influence he has. So oftentimes, that is where you and I find ourselves is being opposed. And let me say this, sometimes... that. One of the greatest hindrances the devil has against God's people is their mind. A lot of a lot of God's people are not hindered by reality, but they're hindered by what could be that is planted there by Satan. You, you, you ever you ever been trying to do something for the Lord and you know the Lord's told you to do it and you're you're busy trying to do it and all of a sudden all kind of doubt and fear begins to flood your mind. Where'd that come from? That didn't come from God. And it's not something, and not, no offense, you and I aren't smart enough to think that kind of stuff up. Where'd it come from? It come from the devil. That's why in the book of Ephesians, he says to take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That word wiles is trickery of the devil. So he obscures the truth. He offers spiritual counterfeits. He Poses God's servants. Now there again, that not just preachers, that's anybody that's trying to do something for the Lord. So, so what, what, what do we do when this happens? I, I want you to be turning, flipping over to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter number 3. There's some spiritual considerations we must, we must see. There's some spiritual conflict that we're going to be up against. But in essence, we have to remember this one thing. Even in the midst of, when we think of the spiritual considerations and the absolute necessity, as Jesus says, to work the works of Him that sent Him, because there's coming a day when we won't be able to work. There's there's coming a day when we won't be able to meet like this. There's coming a day where there won't be any any Baptist churches open. They're going to be it's going to be empty because the Lord's going to come back and rapture rapture the church out. And they, well, it might actually be full for a while, people trying to get right, but nevertheless, so we see, so we see that there's coming a day when we're not able, going to be able to work and able to do for the Lord. And so we, we have to, in the midst of spiritual conflict, in the midst of, of realizing that there's an urgency that's, that has, that is to get the gospel out and realizing that there's conflicts. And here, here's how we, uh, overcome these conflicts. Notice, uh, Philippians chapter number 3, verse number 20. It says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, and it, shall, it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able to even subdue all things unto Himself. So yes, that Satan is obscuring the truth. Yes, he's offering spiritual counterfeits, and yes, he's even opposing uh, God's work in people. 
But the way we overcome that is just focusing on one day Jesus is going to come. And when He comes, all work is going to cease. So we just have to focus on Him coming. Now, 2 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 8. Not only is there, are we to look for His appearing, but we, we keep laboring for the cause of Christ. We keep laboring, uh, giving the gospel out because there is something else. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 8 says, It's henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but also, but unto them, uh, and them also that love his appearing. And so in, in spite of the, 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 the conflict that takes place, we just keep looking for Christ to come. And we just keep, we just keep longing for that day. And we just keep our eyes upon Him. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. I told you we was going to be moving a lot. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Notice what he says in verse number 8 through 9. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, notice this, we may be accepted of Him. Verse number 10, For we must also appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. So we see that in the midst of this, we're just to keep laboring. The reason being is because one day we'll give an account. But thank God when we stand before Christ, God's keeping a record. And every, every time you and I do the work of God, He makes a record of it. And you and I may not ever see much reward for living for Christ and being a witness for Christ here. Matter of fact, we'll probably see more ridicule than we do rewards, but rest assured, reward day is coming for the believer. So I want to give so I want us to look at that very quickly. I, I want us to I, I believe I can cover this if you'll just if you'll hang on the best way I can. I want to get through with this tonight. I, I want we've looked at some some issues about missions, uh, scriptural considerations, spiritual conflict, and the Savior's coming. And I, I want to give you three found the three main foundations of missions. Number one, we all know this verse, so I won't ask you to turn there. But John three sixteen, we see the Bible says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life." The first foundation of missions is that we have a compassionate God. There's no way I know a lot of people can look at try to. Look at God and say, God's not a compassionate God. But there's no way that you can read the Scripture and not see that God is a very compassionate God. We see that God is that He loves, He loves with everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 and verse number 3 says this, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn thee. 
We find that in, well, I'm not going to turn, run these references. You can, if you're taking notes, you can mark them down and, and look at them and study them. We see that his love is extravagant, it's everlasting, and it also is a, a love that passes all, un, un, all knowledge in Ephesians chapter number 3, verse number 19. We also see that it's not only extravagant, but it's exhaustive. We see that, the, that it is open to the world. God's love is open to all the world. 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men slack, uh, count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see in Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 15, He made a promise to Adam. And he made, well, it was more, it was really to the serpent. He made a promise that one of these days there was going to come a Savior and uh, the serpent would bruise the Savior's heel, but the Savior would cross the serpent's head. We see that that was the first promise of the Messiah. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 3 and verse number 4, that God made that promise in Genesis and He fulfilled that promise in the Lord Jesus. So we see the first foundation of missions is this. It's a compassionate God. But then Romans chapter number 1, we see that it's not only a compassionate God, but it is a compelling message. Romans chapter, chapter number 1, verse number 14 and verse number 16 says this. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the, to the unwise. So as much as is in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I'm, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We find that in this, these, these are the four major uh, religions of the world. I, we, I looked this up. And um, all of these four major religions of the world, this is what this Hinduism uh, preaches, that there's a fourfold path to salvation. Buddhism leads its followers down an eightfold path to salvation. Islam rests on the five pillars of their faith. And even Catholicism rests on fulfilling the five sacraments. And we see that in this, that there's all these, all these different religions have many ways to salvation, but true Christianity only has one. There again, we've, we've said it several times. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We see that the gospel message, it does not, it, it does not center around what we do, but rather the gospel message centers around what has been done. The gospel message does not center uh, itself around a performance, but it centers itself around a person. Acts chapter number 4, verse number 12 says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So we see there's a compassionate God. We see there's a compelling message. But then we see that there's a commissioned church. And we have already looked at this verse several times in these last five weeks. Mark chapter number 16, verse number 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every, unto every creature. And so these are, the, these are the three basic foundations of missions. The reason we, tell, reason we go and tell people about Christ is because there's a compassionate God. And because there's a compassionate God, He's given us a compelling message to tell them. Now what greater message could ever be told than that 
The Son of God died for sinners. No greater message has ever been known. No greater message could ever be told. And then because that, because there is a message, there has to be a commissioned church to send out, to train individuals and to send individuals out to this lost and dying world to spread the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we conclude these five weeks, I hope that we have, hopefully, we have maybe have a better understanding of missions and maybe even maybe have a greater desire for it. Because surely there is, as Jesus said in John chapter number 9, and that there's coming a day when no man can work. There again, a lot of times we talk about how, how soon we believe Christ is coming. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that if you was to look at, look at my life a lot of times, it would not be a life that portrays that I believe He could come at any moment. I, 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 would, go, I would probably go as far to say all of us, if, if a person was to really examine our life, all of us fall short miserably at presenting a life that says, Christ, I believe Christ could come. At any moment. I, I think a lot of times I, I think about our kids. Our, I don't know if y'all's kids do or did, but my, our kids love company. I mean, buddy, if our dogs bark, I mean, they get excited about the mailman coming. Um, if our dogs start barking, they're running, running up to the windows and put, pressing their face toward the window, and they're looking for company coming. And every now and then, my mama, she lives up the road, and she'll call and she'll say, ask, can she come down and see the kids? And we'll say, yeah. And um, we'll, the kids over here, and they'll say, it's Mimi coming. We'll say, yes, yeah, she's coming. And they'll, they'll run, and they'll go to that window sill. And man, every vehicle that runs by, they'll say, that's Mimi. That's Mimi. And they'll pass on by. Well, that wasn't Mimi. And another vehicle come by and they, that's me, me, and it'll go on past, past the drive. Well, that must not have been me, me. With every vehicle that comes by, they'll get so excited. That's her, that's her. And then as it pass by, you can just see them droop. That's not her. But buddy, when that vehicle does, when those lights do hit that window, man, it's, it's all excitement. And you know, I, 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 look, I see them do that sometimes and I think, boy, that, that ought to be the way I am with the Lord. Just looking and anticipating. And every, every time I hear the wind blow, I ought to think it's a trumpet that the Lord could be coming. But sadly, oftentimes the things of the world sometimes get in, get in the way and cloud my view. So Jesus is coming, and because He's coming, we must work the works of the One who has sent us. Any question or comment before we dismiss tonight?